1: welcome back to the hawkeye nation podcast um today we are joined by former hawkeye football and baseball player multi-sport athletes we don't see as, as many of those these days but uh happy to be joined by Dana hughes
0: how you doing today Dana? doing all right man how you doing
1: doing great and i appreciate you joining us and, and look forward to this conversation a lot going on here and uh hawkeye nation as most of the listeners of this podcast will will attest to um and in our country and i, I think that's kind of just uh you know uh, i think people maybe um felt like iowa iowa city was uh, maybe immune to uh being a part of this discussion but now it's uh at least from an athletic standpoint is uh fully entrenched in this discussion and uh You know, I'd like to just kind of start, Dana, with uh, I I was listening to a podcast uh, recently with Ronnie Harmon and I hadn't heard from him and really enjoyed listening to kind of what his experience was as a student athlete at Iowa. Um, Let's kind of just start with what it was like for you,
0: not only, you know, athletically, but socially. Well, I mean, it was one of the greatest times of my life, personally. Um, But I come from New Jersey, just like Ronnie. I've known Ronnie for years. He was married to my cousin, and obviously being a former Hawkeye and playing against him in the NFL. Um, He comes from New York. I'm from New Jersey, a melting pot of every race, color, uh, ethnicity, religion, et cetera. So, uh, you know, I think when I think about it, and it's not any dig towards anybody else that comes from different places, It's, you know, the culture that we grew up in was such a hodgepodge of people that you become, uh, you know, it's normalized. Everything is normalized. So, you know, the the Italian culture and the Polish culture, Irish culture, Dominican, Puerto Rican, et cetera. So when you go out to Iowa, it's definitely a culture Mm -hmm. shock, (laughs) but at the same time, You know, the things that you may hear that may be, you know, either racial slights or biased slights or something like that is stuff that you grew up with in in the big city. So it's not anything that jabs at you so hard that it affects your life. And I I I still am very close to a lot of former Hawkeye players, both white and black that I played with. I go on vacation with them every year uh, for the last 15 plus years. And we have deep conversations. And we obviously reminisce about our times in, at, at Iowa and in Iowa City. And I just realized, I guess I always took it as this is just a different culture. This is a different place in the middle of the cornfields. And, um, but I can say that there wasn't anything that hindered me. There wasn't anything that I felt like um, was something that was biased towards me or holding me back. Sure, there were comments here and there by uh, people in, the, in athletics as well as outside athletics that I look back now on 20 30 years later and was like, "hmm, that was kind of interesting, mm-hmm. but it wasn't something that that you know hit me to the core and uh, you know with everyone that's coming out with stuff now, I feel like it's therapeutic for those people because it obviously, whether it's five 10 20 years ago, it hurt them somehow. Um, and in order to get beyond that, in order to get to the part of healing, you have to be able to acknowledge that. So I, I, I give a lot of credit to all the players, former players that have come out and voiced their issues and their concerns. And I also give credit to Coach Ferentz for addressing it so quickly to the point of how important it is, because let's face it, in this country, uh, and as well as in any university, it hasn't been very important for people to acknowledge the bias or racist racism, etc. That's gone on in this country for for decades and centuries.
1: Um, you and you don't have to do this if you don't want. Who are who are some of the you know your ex teammates that you vacation with and talk to about these things and try to. You know, we, we talk about, Dana, and, you know, the most important thing right now is dialogue and people communicating and, and sharing their feelings on how they feel about these topics. Um, who are some of the guys that you're still in communication
0: with and hang out with? Well, I go on a vacation. Paul Kujawa, a former mm-hmm. fullback, was uh, my class of 88 to 92. Uh, he has a cabin up in Wisconsin, so he hosts – Jimmy Hartley, Matt Rogers, John Derby, uh, Mike Ferroni, Mike Devlin, Paul Burmeister, myself, Cliff King, Mike Saunders, uh, Al Cross, uh, all of us every year, and his Paul's brother uh, comes in as well. Uh, then I go on another vacation uh, or another get you know weekend little getaway with Cliff King and Mike Titley and Harold Jasper. Lloyd Bickham, Ryan Terry, uh, Larry Blue, uh, you know, a lot of those guys for, as well. So I, I, I guess I'm spoiled because I still have great connections with my Hawkeye teammates, you know, going on now 20 something years, 25 plus years later, 28 years, gosh, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and we sit around the fire and we chat and we talk about life. And we, and we reminisce on our experiences and what kept us together as brothers this long. But then we also talk about what's going on in the real world, especially with uh, us having kids. And I have grandkids. I'm the only one with grand. Actually, Derby has grandkids, and I have grandkids. And um, we talk about that because we see life differently now than we did when we wore the Hawkeye jersey. And um, we can also. There are some people that are still in the Iowa City area that can see some things differently as well. So that's what it's about. Like you said, it's the dialogue, and I really appreciate those relationships because they allow themselves to to uh, allow us to feed off each other. Chris Green is another guy that's part of that group as well. So um, it's not just the all Big Ten players or former NFL guys. It's everybody. Walk-ons just all of us that have been brothers since 1988. And um, we've had some deep discussions and uh, extensive discussions that extend to Jimmy Hartley has sons that play sports and they had black kids on their team or black kids in their school. And he's asking me questions and we're just having a dialogue about that. And he'll text me or call me on the side, you know, months later in between and say, Hey man, this is what's going on. What do you, what's your perspective? Um, and that's what it's about. Iron sharpening iron. And, uh, I attribute that to my time at Iowa and the relationships that, you know, I've done since then.
1: Um, you know, I, and, and I think as you, as you pointed out with the, you know, with the 50 or 60 former players that, that came out in the last few weeks and kind of, you know, shared their stories and, um, you know, the, the experience is different for everybody. And, you know, it, it, you didn't feel like the, the, um, anything you saw that may have been considered a racial bias held you back. But it, it can hold other people back depending on their experiences. And some of those guys talked about, you know, the need to conform to white culture uh, within a sports program. Um, you're a guy that's you know, been in the media. You, you've seen not only Iowa, but other schools. Do you see that as an issue? Is that, is that something that, um, obviously, these guys feel that way. Is that something
0: that needs part of the change that needs to happen? Well, I don't know if change is the word that I would use, but uh, adjusting, um, acclimating to could be the uh, the term I would use. And here's why. Um, it's a different culture. And depending on how you're raised or what things you have gone through in life, there may be triggers that happen. It may be something, it may be so, an off-color comment. It may be a way that a coach may try to incentivize you or to push you. We've heard it all as athletes. Mm-hmm. And there may be something that, happened in your past as a player or as a human that triggers something. And some of the best times, most of the best times in my life came during my college years. And to think that there are some athletes out there that were not able to have the same experiences, have the same joys, build the same relationships, have the same uh, fun going back to Iowa as I did, that's saddening. That's very sad because I even tell my kids who are college age and above that that's going to be some of their best times and their best relationships are going to be formed during those times. Um, so I think it's about adjustment and just acknowledging. Uh, I remember, you know, black families, a lot of black families that I know, you know, when we sit around the, the dinner table, it can get loud and you're talking with each other and you're laughing and you're having fun and you're eating. And that's a cultural thing. I've been with some white players who their tables are very stoic, very relaxed. It's kind of a calming time of the day, dinner time. And that can be different for a lot of black families. So when we would go to training table, we would be loud. And there were times where coaches would come over and say, OK, guys, you know, calm down. You're being you know, a little extra loud. Mm-hmm. I didn't take that as a jab to my culture. I took that as an opportunity to be considerate of other people From different cultures and that can work in reverse the same way in different circumstances Uh, and that has to be acknowledged everything can't fit into a a small funnel Uh, whether that's the way the coach does it whether that's the way coach Doyle tried to do it it can't work uh, to to allow young men to grow and to mature Uh, you have to acknowledge part of what they have gone through part of what their experience is and part of what makes their life enjoyable as well. Um, So to me, it's about adjusting to a culture and recognizing the cultures that you're bringing in. I mean, i played with guys from New York, Connecticut, Texas, California, obviously Iowa, Illinois, uh, Las Vegas, uh, you know, all over the place. And to assume that you're going to bring all these guys and all these ingredients into one big pot and then make that pot the way you want it to be and only the way you want it to be and then expect everybody to conform and still have the same experience and joy and success and fulfillment, that is ignorance. And um, if no one steps up and says that, then it can go undetected. So that's, you know, that's why I like how the guys are addressing it and say, hey, this is what I was going through. This is how I was asked to conform. This is what it seemed like it was expected to me, of me to conform. And no one ever felt like they were interested in my story or how that wasn't workable for me. Uh, it never seemed acceptable. So I just had to grin and bear it. And that's what you're seeing with these guys.
1: We hear a lot of the word, and Coach Ferentz used this as well, uh, of having an inclusive culture. Um, You just spoke to that about having guys from so many different walks of life and areas of the country. You know, geography obviously changes people's experiences when they're growing up. Um, How, I guess, how realistic is it to have a culture that is inclusive and what are the keys to having the most inclusive culture you, you can have with, with people from
0: having, you know, from, from all different walks of life? I think one is uh, the willingness and openness and availability to conform. But look at it this way. I mean, we all come from different walks of life in education, our high school education. Some guys come in there and they got 4.0s and they've had them and that's what they expect and that's how they go through college. Some guys struggle, white and black. And what do they provide? The student athlete services. Mm -hmm. They have counselors. They have people that can tutor. So they're able, there is some kind of conforming on the educational side. Um, But there may not be that same kind of conforming opportunity on the personal side. So if we can do it with education where we recognize this person has a A deficiency in reading or comprehension or this person is you know may have an ADD type of uh, diagnosis where you have to kind of help them navigate through the work life of student athlete balance Um, you have you provide those services well what about the personal side what Mm -hmm. about the, the people that are walking around looking like they are miserable There's a reason. I mean, you're you're a student athlete at the University of Iowa. There's no pro sports in the state. And probably between wrestling and football, you're probably the top two (laughs) organizations in the state. There's really not a whole lot that you should be sad about. So there needs to be mechanisms in place to recognize that, to help people through that part, instead of just uh, feeling like you're helping be eligible so that they can play well on Saturday or be eligible to play on Saturday. Um, So I I think this is a first step. This is a necessary step in recognizing that, Hey, we've been doing it an okay way, but we can do it better and we can make it a better situation for our student athletes to come through. And also the other student body, Um, you know, everything's copycat. And when you see success in one area, it, it, it's contagious. And um, that's how people are going to be sharpened. Um, White people on campus, you know, I I, I don't ever take for granted, still to this day, that with 63% of the the country white and 13% black, especially in the state of Iowa with the friends or the teammates or the people I connect with there, I may be the only black person that they have a deep conversation with. I may be the only black person that they ever see. When we go up to Wisconsin, the Cooge's cabin, when we go to different stores, it looks like I'm the only black person they've ever seen in person. Um, so I have to acknowledge that and be willing to have some kind of communication um, so that everyone grows, not just me, but the other people who are encountering me.
1: Um you you mentioned that the education part a part of this and, and James Daniels who who kind of got this conversation started you know about uh some things he saw in the uh in the football program and and James is one of the smartest guys i've ever been around he's just he's incredibly brilliant and uh you know a kid that i, I think gets it and understands kind of different views on things and and how things are um you know, that, that things, there is gray area and, and that's part of what needs to be discussed, but he, he pointed out the graduation rates at Iowa for the black athletes um, is something that's, that's really low. It's one of the lower of the power five schools. Um, I I guess what can be done there? Do you, do you have a thought on on why that would be and why uh, or how it can be brought up and, and also the the transfer rate are, are those I guess signs of um,
0: maybe the, what, what the issues were or that there were issues uh, I think they can be a combination of things you know starting with the graduation rate you know one aspect uh, you noticed in a lot of the guys given their testimonies about their their time at the university a lot of them seemed like they couldn't wait to leave And as a student athlete, whether you redshirt or don't redshirt, that final semester when there's no football and you're just there to either work out for the NFL, possibly take one or two classes um, to get your degree, um, your experience with certain coaches, with the strength coach, with feeling like they have your back, with feeling like they actually care about you off the field uh, could hinder. Your, your, your desire to stay there to get your degree during that semester. Um, that's, that can be a factor. Um, from an athlete standpoint and, and, and graduation rate, um, you can be a, a person that it has never been a priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm speaking for myself. I, I went to school there, played two sports, uh, didn't stay there during the summers to take classes. Uh, played Mm -hmm. professional baseball while I was still a student there and I had two classes left. Um, And it took me, gosh, 20 years to get those two classes done partly because I procrastinated, but the other part, it wasn't a negative. I just left the campus because I was going to play pro baseball. But there's a lot of guys that leave the campus to go work out because they didn't feel like they were, Accepted or wanted with the strength program, or even wanted to be around that anymore. So acknowledging that that that's been a hindrance and going the necessary steps to embrace guys where they feel like they're missing something if they leave. Not that you're missing something. Uh, that can help with the graduation rate. And then as far as the transfer, I mean that's just the sign of the times now, guys. Yeah. You know, a lot of recruiting is sales. And if you're a four-star or five-star and you've always started in everything of your life and been one of the better on the field and now you're asked to redshirt and be a backup and grind your way up. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're hear in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do
1: another stomp you out speech. It opened up so
0: many more doors. The show is
1: called The The Deal. Deal.
0: Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. To some individuals, they're not ready for that grind. They don't want to see that. And then if you add on the other ancillary stuff in regards to the coaching and the, the culture and some of the issues that they're facing, it's it's easier for them to leave and go elsewhere. So uh, it's you know everything trickles down, and uh, that seems to be uh, just a microcosm of what we're seeing in society now. Um, and, and and these guys will make good decisions for themselves. But I think the university, the first thing, just like in anything, whether you are going to therapy, whether you are in uh, you know Alcohol Anonymous or you know, a drug awareness program, the first thing is acknowledgement. And that's what the university and Kirk Ferentz and the football program seems to have done is acknowledge some of their, their mishaps of the past.
1: Kind of asking you more of i I don't know if this is a speculatory question, but just kind of your view on, um, you know, we saw it at Oklahoma State with, with Mike Gundy, um, Mike Norvell at Florida State, uh, here with Coach Ference, it seems like coaches are going to lose a little bit of control at least some control or, that maybe they had over players uh, just the way the you know the the structure was set up um, I guess how how difficult is it to change and again, this is speculatory, but it seems like they 're going to have to change maybe their approach at least to some degree on how they coach or how they um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of how they, um, uh, you know – How they
0: maneuver. How do they, yeah, how they but, get, yeah,
1: just kind of how, how they are around. These players obviously are speaking out. They actually yeah. – you know, they, they seem empowered, and I think that's a good thing. Again, that's just my opinion, um, to speak out if they don't see something that's right. Um, how much does that change, the, 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 you know, just the structure and, and the coaching approach?
0: It, it changes it a lot. But I think, you know, you, you've been in the locker room. I've been in the locker room and around sports. You know, what is, what's always preached to us on the field? It's a game of adjustments. Right. You know, what you do at halftime, what you do between series is you make adjustments. Well, now we're, we're going to implement that in life, in the culture. It's about adjustments, and what if you're a coach that's always told me, whether I was on the baseball field adjusting from a fastball to a curveball, or on the football field from coverages and plays and audibles, you've always uh, told me, you've always dug into me the importance of knowing what to do and how to make those adjustments. Now the coaches are going to have to practice what they preach. They're going to have to make adjustments that are going to better their program, better their people and players Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out we also have to realize that these are i mean i was 17 years old as a freshman at college now Mm -hmm. nowadays it seems like everybody's 18 19 all the way up to 21 22. you got young people and my father always used to say a lot of things that make you laugh can make you cry you can you you know having the the accessibility of social media can make you laugh and make you cry, which means it could be good and it could be bad. Right. And you know, imagining imagining an 18, 19 year old man or woman dissatisfied with their playing time, dissatisfied with maybe how they feel like they're being treated, or feeling like they were overpromised during the recruiting phase, and now it's uh not come to fruition, that person has 140 plus characters to be able to display uh, their displeasure. Uh, that, can be, <laughs> that can be testy, uh, especially as a young adult, or uh, I should say an older teen. Um, so there's, there's going to be some ups and downs and, and in that situation, but the voice that we never had is now an opportunity for a lot of students, a lot of student athletes. Um, whether they're getting paid, you know, now you got to get into a situation about people being able to be paid Mm -hmm. and having some money. I mean, that's a whole nother topic that, you know, I endorse um, just because of the structure I think is unfair for student athletes um, as well. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how guys, and I think it's going to be essential for the universities to have that player development player program guy that's not a coach he's just there to help you navigate through life and before you press send on that social media post about your displeasure about something that he can be a a source that you can at least talk through it not not talk you down from Mm -hmm. having your voice but talk you through how you can relay a message without putting yourself in harm's way so uh, I think Broderick Benz is up there, a former player. Oh. Hopefully they empower him more uh, so that he can be that kind of conduit for the players to feel comfortable with sharing some of their issues, and then he can help them kind of grow from there.
1: How do you feel about, uh, you know, the the program bringing in an advisory committee or just a committee of former players? Uh, Coach Ferris has told us that Mike Daniels is – kind of head this I think they're going to have 11 former players that seems like a really good idea because those guys have been through the program a lot many of them have been in the NFL they, they you know have been around they've lived in different parts of the country um it would seem like that's a good idea to have current
0: players have that resource uh, I think I definitely think it's a good idea you just have to be careful I mean they, it's like that in the NFL you know here in Kansas City. We have the Chiefs ambassadors. There's 40-something of us that are here in Kansas City that still do charity work, speak engagements, uh, you know, raise money for different charities, a lot of great things here. And then we have some access with current players. You just have to be careful. You have to make sure whether it's Coach Ferentz or someone in that program that's sitting down with those former players to help them understand what the goals are, what mm-hmm. the what what the standard will be, and then know and trust that those guys are going to be the type of influences that you would want in a program. Um, and I think they'll do a good job of of sourcing those players, and and former players, and and helping them to present a message that is uniformly accepted and acceptable, and then. It's all about sharpening iron, iron, sharpening iron, the former Hawks sharpening the current Hawks and helping them with life lessons uh, that will help them grow as young men, whether they play professional football or not, they will be men and they will possibly have families. And if you can instill some values and structure and help that will help them be that, no matter how long they play football, they'll be a man much longer. How do
1: you think Coach Fry would have dealt with social media?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that would have been fun. Uh, I don't. It would, think have, it would have been
1: fun for him to have a Twitter account with some of the yeah. things that he, you know, some of his ideas.
0: Yeah, it would have been. It would have been interesting for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't think he would have been one of those coaches. Like I think Coach Ferrance had. Um, banned all social media or it seemed like maybe the players didn't have an opportunity to, to have a voice on social media. It
1: was just and, Twitter. He had banned Twitter, but he let him on Instagram and Facebook, but we all know Twitter is a different world.
0: Yeah. So I don't think coach Fry would have went to that extent. Um, so it would have been interesting because coach Fry was a, a guy that coached his coaches very well. He had influence over us in the locker room. And, uh, you know, most of the players would run through a brick wall for him. I'm sure that's the same with Coach Ferentz. It just would have been a different different situation for sure.
1: Damon, you've been around Kirk Ferentz. Um, you, you know him to, you know, I'm not sure to what degree, but um, kind of what's, what's your view of him and what's your, I guess, um, confidence level that he's going to be able to – because this is – there are a lot of layers to this. Now he he's got to recruit now with this kind of cloud hanging over his program. He's got to, as we talked about earlier, kind of adjust a little bit, you know, maneuver around what's going on now. Um, I guess what's your confidence level. in? and again, this is just asking your opinion and to speculate on him being, you know, we've seen him kind of, have a rebirth in this program several times where it looked like things were going the wrong way and he was able to, to turn it around again. But this, this is to me, the biggest challenge he's faced.
0: Yeah. I've known coach Ferns. I mean, he was the offensive line coach when I was there and then he left and went to Maine and the NFL and so on. And then came back. So I've known him since 1988 Um. I here's why I believe he can be the guy to, to work in this change. Because of everything that I've seen of that program, and I've gone back and I've done the Big Ten Network, mm-hmm. did the broadcast for the spring game, did the broadcast of non, non-conference games during the season, have a lot of interaction with him in preparation for those, those broadcasts. Um, he empowered Chris Doyle. To be his right hand man, and in empowering him, over time things seem to go awry. We're not saying that Coach Ferentz is not does not have uh, any kind of blame or is blameless in in any of this, but recognizing when you went wrong or when things started to go awry, addressing it immediately, and Seeming like he is genuine in his willingness to make adjustments, how quickly he did it is very impressive to me and I'm sure very impressive to parents and recruits. Uh, there wasn't a, time, a super time lapse um, that you know, he had to think, overthink, rethink uh, what the next steps would be. It seemed like he jumped on it. And there's credibility in that. Uh, the fact that, for the most part, uh, what we're hearing in the stories and testimonies dealt with or involved Chris Doyle um, insulates Coach Ferrens slightly, and I just say slightly because he's still the head of that program, but I think that because it all fell on one person, or a lot of it did, you've eliminated that component, and you've had some humility in embracing the issues that you uh, overlooked in the past because you had given so much power to another person, Um, that's telling. That's that's very telling. So I'm encouraged. Uh, I know there will be eyes on that program like never before. And it will be interesting to see how they step up, not just him, but the rest of the coaching staff. Everybody can exhale. And now, get back to the the matter at hand of of shaping young men to be the best football players they can be and the best men in society that they can be.
1: Last one, and, and I'll let you go. I appreciate your time so much. Um, how will we know, Dana, from from the outside? I mean, because you you know that that world behind the the doors of the facility, we we most of the people on the outside don't really have a look you know, a a clear view of what happens inside those walls. How will we know if if this – if Iowa – and Iowa has an opportunity here to be, you know, if not the face of change, one of the faces of change, if it can turn a negative into a positive. How do you feel like we'll know um, that they're able to do that?
0: Uh, I kind of – you know, and I don't want to minimize it by saying this, comparison, but it's like watching a football game. If you don't recognize, if you don't hear about the referees, that usually means that they've done a good job. Uh, Same thing with offensive linemen. If you're not talking about them, that means they've probably done a good job. And that's what it's going to take. When the silence, especially now, especially since he's empowering people to have a voice, he's endorsing um, difference and growth in their program. If we don't hear anything, that's going to be a good thing because there's there there won't be any excuses anymore. Uh, Guys won't feel apprehensive about their communication. So the silence will be telling from that program. Um, So that's what we're going to see on the outside. Uh, And, um, you know, there may be stories that come out here and there. Again, nothing's going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, No situation is going to be perfect. But if we hear more silence than stories, then I think that the Hawks will be on the right path.
1: Awesome. All right, Dana. Well, thanks again, man. We really appreciate your insight. I think I wanted to talk to you because I think you have good insight from, you know, your, you know, how long you've known Kirk and your experiences in the program. And uh, I think this will be um, really valuable for people to hear and uh, some great ideas on on how we'll be able to uh, see if change is coming and uh,
0: appreciate your insight. Yeah, man. Thanks for the platform, Rob. I appreciate it. And I would just tell Hawkeye fans, I know there's been some back and forth in regards to kneeling versus not kneeling. Yeah. We didn't even get to that yet. (laughs) I mean, man, I mean, just, understand you know what we do on the field is entertainment for you take it for what it is support the hawks support what they're doing in the community support the the program because they're raising young men the next generation that will you know have some some sort of powers in 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 what's the future of this country so support them in that way and you can disagree about methods but not necessarily about the message. The message is equality. The message is freedom. The message is, is more comfort. Uh, and it will, pro- it will produce dividends. And, and I think the Hawkeye fans need to recognize that, get outside of their feelings, and recognize the big picture. Uh, it's better for our country that we accept uh, some of the inequalities and we strive for more equality.
1: Really well said. And if you don't mind, I want to ask one more thing here because I wrote a column on this and this is going to be, we all know this is going to be a story when the games roll around Dane and when yeah. we've already seen kind of the, you know, the division the, the that this kneeling uh, for the national anthem has, has uh, created. And we should have seen that back with, you know, Colin Kaepernick, but um, I wrote a column um, and, you know, I, I respect Kirk Ferentz and, you know, he knows more about football uh, than all I could ever dream of knowing. But I wrote a column when he, he came out a few weeks ago and he said, you know, I would like us to either stand as a team or kneel as a team. Now, you've got 110 players here and I wrote a column that I felt like. You should allow each individual player to do what he wants in this situation. I get the team aspect. I get that you want to do this as a team, and I understand where he's coming from in that regard, but I don't think you could tell a a player who feels very strongly about standing that he needs to kneel, and and I think it's hard to tell a player that feels like he needs to express himself by kneeling and stand up for something to stand. Um, I just kind of wonder what your feeling is on that.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, coaches have that it's reflex, <laughs> that, that, uh, reflex yeah. action in their brain that everything needs to be uniform. A lot of coaches, whether it's where you wear your socks, how you have your uniform, your shirt tucked in, right. and all this stuff, and it just kind of meanders into real life sometimes. I understand you wanting to have uniformity. I understand you, wanted, you want everybody to be together. But I think the key word in what you're saying is what he would like. Now, if he's go if he goes to the to the extent of enforcing, then we're taking some steps backwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have to be careful in when a coach says this is what I would like, especially nowadays, feeling like that's what's going to be automatically implemented. I don't think Coach Ferentz, uh I, I believe him smarter smart enough to understand that that's probably not a message that he wants to portray, that he is enforcing something. Um, I do, I can understand, a part of me can understand, okay, we're all one team. Let's all kneel together. Let's all stand together. But if there are guys out there that choose not to, or feel like the connection isn't as strong, and they want to kneel, or they want to do something else that's respectable, um, they should be able to do that? And if not now, when? Is the big question. Mm-hmm. If that's something that we cannot conform to as a program or as a country now, when will we ever be able to do that? Um so uh, you know that that's gonna be something that's gonna be watched, like you said, and we'll see how Coach Ferrens handles that, if players are feeling pressured to do one or the other versus feeling free to do whichever they choose.
1: Yeah, really well said. And, and it I was remiss of me to not mention that in our conversation. And it's just kind of evidence that we could probably talk here for hours about all, all of the layers that are, are part of this story. But again, Dana, and I really appreciate uh, your insight on all of these uh, topics and, and the, the many areas that we're looking at in our country. Uh, and now in Iowa City and the Iowa football program, and I think – I think the uh, I, th- I think the the, um, the good people I'll, I'll I'll just say the good people want to see this change. They they understand there needs to be change, um, and it's not. It's like Coach Fran McCaffrey told me yesterday. It's it's not that we want change. Uh, we're demanding change, and, and it
0: needs to happen. And, and there's growing pains with any change. You know, from an athlete perspective, no matter how good your high school was, when you got to college, it was, there was some growing pains that you had to go through. Out of college into the real world, into life, into family, into having kids, into changing jobs, it's growing pains. That's going to be growing pains for the fans as well as the players and coaches. We just have, just like we did on the field, we just have to grind through it and bear through it and think about the human and not just the jersey. Think about the man and not just the number on his back or what he's entertaining you about. And I think we'll be better as a society if we look at it that way.
1: Really well said, Dan, and I, I really appreciate that. And uh, thanks again for joining us and sharing your thoughts on, uh, okay. on an important story.
0: Yeah, no problem at all. Anytime, man. I appreciate the platform. This is good. Go Hawks.